0: Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalm 143, verses seven through 12. Answer me quickly, O Lord, my spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord, I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. For your name's sake, O Lord, preserve me in my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies, and you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul, for I am your servant. Thank you, Gabe. We bring into church on Sunday morning lots of baggage from our from the things that stress us out, and we are always sort of staring down the barrel of trials and tribulations. It's just how we're wired, just the way we are. As much as, you know, however joyful we may be, there's always things that sort of are, you know, burdens on us that we're stressing about, trials to make us worry. So I want to just do something uh, before we get into our time in the Word. Let's take a moment. And each of us, each one of you, Think of five things you're thankful for. You don't have to say it out loud, but just right now, just take a moment. Think of five things you are really grateful and thankful to the Lord for. Maybe your family, it may be your vocation. Just take a moment. Father, we give you thanks for the ways that you pour out your blessings on us in so many different areas of our life. We also, Lord, need to be reminded of all of the wonderful things that you do for us. Help our hearts to be lifted up in thanksgiving. In a spirit of gratitude, carry us through this next week that when we're confronted with trials or tribulations or things in our life that are not the way we want them to be, let us meditate and be reminded, O oh God, of these five things things that you have given us space for, enabled, empowered, or allowed, or outright blessed us with. Whether it's our family, or our marriages, or our children, or the homes we live in, or the jobs we have, or the friends and connections, or this church, fill our hearts, O God, this week with thanksgiving and gratitude. That we might look to you in worship and praise more than we currently do, and gaze upon the beauty of your holiness and the glory of your love and grace. Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, I hope that was a little helpful, and and this week, hopefully, we go in the strength of gratitude and thanksgiving of those five things. Well, no series on holiness would be complete without talking about the Holy Spirit. Now, I could make a whole nother series on the Holy Spirit, and I feel like this series on holiness sort of grew out of our series on prayer. We may not move to a series on the Holy Spirit, but we could. But I'm going to spend the next two weeks, this week and next week, talking about the Holy Spirit. And the big idea that I want us to sort of walk away from today is that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is indispensable in our lives. We can't live without it, let alone... Grow into holiness. The Holy Spirit as a doctrine suffers from underemphasis, and one of the reasons for that is that the Spirit is always pointing our attention to Christ, right? So when people accuse you of not talking about the Holy Spirit enough, you know, in some ways it's the Holy Spirit Himself that is pointing us to Jesus. Pointing us to Jesus, not pointing us to Himself, but it's good for us to meditate on the Holy Spirit and who the Holy Spirit is and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life. As we talk about holiness, one of the things that's really important for us to recognize is rules don't change the heart. You know that? When you think about the law of God and like the commandments. And if you have ever struggled to be like obedient and to be holy and wonder why the rules alone don't fire you up, because rules don't change the heart. The law is good. The commandments are good. It's a transcription of God's moral character, okay? But it's the Spirit that changes the heart. And so maybe it's not that we don't know the rules or we don't know the commandments well enough, but maybe we need God to fill us again with the Holy Spirit. That may be what's what's lacking is a fresh touch of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Spirit changes our hearts. The Spirit makes us want to do the things that God has commanded. I'm getting ahead of myself, but... As we read through our text this morning in John 14, I want us to focus on three things. Number one, how the Spirit empowers obedience. In other words, the Spirit enables us, empowers us to obey. Secondly, the Spirit adopts us into God's family. And third, the Spirit convicts and reminds us of the truth. So let's read through John 14, 15 through 26. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Now Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord... How is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. Third time he says this. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. Fourth time. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Father, bless us now through the illumination of your Holy Spirit and transform us through the preached and engrafted word. Amen. Well, of the three things I mentioned, the Spirit empowers us to obedience, the Spirit adopts us into God's family, and the Spirit convicts and reminds us of truth. I want to just start with number one. So the first thing I want us to notice, and you can write this down if you want, is the Spirit enables us to obey. You don't have to raise your hands, but just, just a mental exercise here. Has obedience ever felt difficult to you? Yeah, that's right. Just shout it out, amen, if if it ever has been. Sure, yeah. So if you're the only one thinking, I must be, you know, strange or weird or unique for not sort of mastering God's commandments, uh, you're in good company. We all wrestle with it. We all struggle with it, right? And Jesus is often in the habit of saying things that, are really important that seem almost impossible to accomplish, but then he explains how they will be accomplished. And he says, if we love him, we will keep his commandments. The the inverse of that, of course, is that people who do not keep his commandments and his teaching do not love him. The Greek word there for to keep is to persist in obedience, to observe, fulfill, pay attention to. If you love me, you'll care about my commandments. You'll care about my teaching. You won't discard my word. Four times in that passage as we read through was a reference to keep my commandments, keep my word, hear my word, obey my word. Pretty important to Jesus. A person cannot say they love Jesus and neglect his teaching. It's interesting that Jesus, for everything the gospel is, he does not see his ministry as somehow lightening the burden for obedience. He doesn't let us off the hook, so to speak, and say, well, whatever you do, just know that I'll always affirm and support you. That's sort of the modern mantra of like parenting today, right? Like we're told as parents that like, if they, you don't say that to your kids. Like you're like you're a bad, unloving parent, right? We would expect Jesus to say something like that, but he doesn't. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Jesus sets a really high bar for us and says, To love me is to obey me. Showing Jesus and the world, we love him, is to keep and fulfill what he has commanded. Now, <clears throat> before you are overwhelmed, feeling like, well, I'm already failing up until this point, what's the use? It's helpful for us to recognize that we are not, we've said this before, we're not justified by how well we obey, but by our faith. Romans 5:1 tells us that. But our obedience proves our faith. And what Jesus does is he equips us with the power to obey. Justified by faith, not by works, but our obedient works bear out the authenticity of our faith. Right? And he says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, which is a recognition that you need help. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, but I recognize you can't do this on your own, so I will ask the Father to send you help you can't do it on your own you can't do it in your own strength you can't do it in your own power and this helper will be with you forever even the spirit of truth for he dwells with you and he will be in you this may be the most trinitarian passage in the whole bible right the the father the son the spirit are all working here they're all working here together for you They've agreed together in covenant to help you accomplish this objective of being holy. God never says to us, right, be holy for I am holy, figure it out, good luck. Figure it out, or else. That's not what God does, it's not how Scripture talks. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all working together, an intra-trinitarian work, we could say, for your good, for your benefit, to equip you, enable you, empower you. There's a team working to help you. The Spirit is the power of God released into the life of Jesus' followers. You know, one, one example of how the power of the Spirit makes all the difference is, before, you know, before the Spirit is poured out, Peter, who's arguably like, you know, the chief of the 12 apostles, you know, he's the guy who's always first to speak. Sometimes he says dumb things. Puts his foot in his mouth sometimes. And the guy who declared his unwavering loyalty to jesus denies jesus three times right he's cowardly he just he just he can't he can't get it together and then after the spirit is poured out peter is amazing he does he's amazing the book of acts and you know, he gives this if you read peter's sermon in acts chapter two it's the most one of the most amazing sermons you will ever encounter And the things that Peter does after he's filled with and empowered by the Spirit, you almost think like, I don't even think this is the same people. But it's the infilling and empowering of the Spirit that has made all the difference. Now, Jesus loved Peter before that, but once he receives the Spirit, he's a changed person. The Spirit gives him and releases the power of God into his life And this is what keeps us from being overwhelmed by our sins. This power of God released into our lives, the spirit. At the end of World War II, two pictures appeared in a magazine showing a soldier in conflict with a tank. And the first picture showed a huge tank bearing down on a tiny soldier about to crush him. The picture was proportioned to show the odds involved when a foot soldier faced a tank with just a rifle. The next picture showed what happened to that soldier's odds with a bazooka or a rocket launcher in his hands. And this time, the tank appeared to be shrunken in size And the soldier was at least equal in size, if not a little larger. Without the Spirit's power released into our lives, when we're in conflict with sin, we're like an infantry soldier in the presence of a tank. We just can't stand against it. But if the Spirit is working in us, we can live as God intended us to live, And there is no temptation that can overwhelm us, that the Lord cannot empower us to escape or overcome. So here's an application question for you. Am I seeking the Spirit's help in keeping Jesus' words, or do I rely on my own strength? Now, you may be thinking, well, how, how do I seek the Spirit's help? Well, it's pretty the first step is really simple. It's just, Holy Spirit, I need your help. Lord, would you strengthen me with your spirit? I, a confession, right? I cannot do this on my own. I need your spirit, Lord. I trust in you. I'm reminding you of your word that you promised that you would send a helper. I need help. We, we may not invest in our very, you know, sort of skeptical age, much power in prayer, a prayer like that, but there's a lot of power in a prayer like that. There's a lot of power in confessing and surrendering your own ineptitude to fight sin and instead exchanging that for God's promised power in the Spirit. The second thing that the Spirit does, and remember we're talking about how indispensable the Holy Spirit is, is the Spirit adopts us into God's family. And Jesus says in verse 18, I won't leave you as orphans, I'll come to you. Now, the context of these verses is, this is Jesus' last night with his disciples, and isn't it interesting that the precious little time that Jesus has with them, he wants to talk about the Holy Spirit. Think about that. Jesus' last night, before his arrest and execution, he's got very little time, and he wants to spend his time talking about the Holy Spirit. Because he understands the anxiety that they have, that he's about to depart and leave them. He's been with them for the last three and a half years, and he's about to leave. You can think of the anxiety that they feel. But he says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I will come to you. This idea of being an orphan, it's a powerful image and symbol, isn't it? It's hard losing a sibling or a parent or not having family. Many of you have shared stories of losing a mother or father and how hard it was. Just in the past few years, I've connected with a handful of you I lost my father, some of you lost your father or mother. As a bond there as we grieve together. And no matter how old you are, when your parents die, you feel parentless, it's hard. I lost my brother in 2003, he was only 38. My father in 2018, I'm the only man left in my immediate family, sometimes that hits me really hard. But you can feel Jesus' heartbeat In this verse, he cares for them. He loves them. And he cares so deeply about his disciples, he loves them so much that he agonizes at the thought that they would be left to wander as sheep without a shepherd or as fatherless children. And he says in verse 19, yet a little while in the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. Union with Christ, right? The Spirit unites us to Christ. The Father and the Son we are united to. They are in us and we are in the Father and the Son through the Spirit. That's what the Spirit does The Spirit's presence in our lives is the presence of the Father and the Son. This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, you're not going to see me, but after a little while you will see me, meaning his resurrection, but he's really talking about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and how Jesus' post-resurrection life will be with us. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Christ, which is the Spirit of God, and there aren't three Spirits, there's one Spirit. But we use them interchangeably often. Romans 8 and 9 is a good illustration of this. You are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, Paul says, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Wait, what? Spirit of God? Now you talk about the Spirit of Christ? It's, it's all the same thing. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, it's all the same. There's not three spirits. They're just different ways of talking about how the Trinity is with us. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit is with us. So Jesus says, I won't leave you as orphans. What he's really talking about is the doctrine of adoption that through the power of the spirit we're adopted into God's family fully and powerfully and and real in a real and powerful way through the spirit the father is close to us and so is Jesus our brother Romans 8:15 says for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry abba father Galatians 4 and 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent His Spirit, the Spirit of His Son, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And the idea is this, that in the same way that Jesus is God's Son, so are we. We are sons, we are daughters, we are children of God through the Spirit. The relationship that Jesus has with the Father is now ours. The closeness that Jesus has with his Father is now ours. And the Spirit gathers us together as the family of God. I've told the story, I think, before of the missionary who adopted one of the street orphans who begged for food every day in the country of his ministry. And he said that though he and his wife brought the boy home, I think the child was about eight or nine the child would stockpile food on his shirt every night and take it back to the room. And his adopted father thought he was eating it every night. He wasn't. He was stockpiling the food. Because he wasn't sure when he'd be shown the door and kicked back out on the street. And his adoptive father, this missionary, had to say, you're safe. You're, you're our son now. And I think we suffer from the same insecurity at times, don't we? It's hard for us at times to really believe that God accepts and loves us. And if you've struggled like I've struggled, there is this sort of like voice in the back of your head that tells you that God is always disappointed with you. It's like a constant tension. And I just want to say that that's just... That's the devil. That's Satan. Someone asked me this week, What's, is guilt and shame from God? I said, is guilt and, does guilt and shame come from God? And I thought about it for a moment, and I thought, well, guilt and shame are a result of the conscience, which is a gift from God, which before we come to God in repentance is, is a good thing, because it 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 makes us aware of our sin and it brings us to repentance but after we've repented we have to trust that our heavenly father has forgiven us and then if we experience guilt and shame on the other side of that that's the voice of satan that's a lie so i want to say this to you that if you've repented if you are are living in a state of daily reliance on god where you confess your sins and ask for forgiveness on a regular basis, the guilt and shame is from the devil. It's a lie from Satan saying that God doesn't really love you, God has not really accepted you in his son, and you are not really a part of God's family, like that orphan boy who struggled to trust that his new adoptive father and mother really loved him. I don't know who that was for, but I I needed to say that for somebody. Because I've experienced that. And you know something? That'll that'll cause someone to give up on their faith. If if you are not really assured in God's fatherly love and care for you, it's too hard, right? It's sort of exhausting. It just beats you down into the ground. But Jesus is promising that the Spirit does its work of not leaving us as orphans, And so here's an application point for you, okay? You don't need to fear because you are fully loved. And you don't need to feel ashamed because you are fully known. God fully loves you, and he fully knows you. And in Christ, you've been accepted, redeemed, and forgiven. God knows everything about you, all the best parts and all the worst parts, and he still loves you. That's what the gospel is. That's what the promise of the gospel is. God knows the worst things about me and still loves me. Sometimes I have to remind myself of that. No, Jordan, God loves you. I shared with someone recently that from the time I was about, I don't know, 38 to maybe 45, I was experiencing panic, I was experiencing panic attacks. The first time it happened, and it was in California, I was with my wife and her uncle and our family, and my son said, Let's swim out to the middle of this lake, Lake Elizabeth. And it was a windy day and I had just ate and my wife said, don't do it. And of course, like most guys, I just said, yeah, yeah whatever. And I swam out to the middle of the lake and once I got to the middle, I mean, it was too, I, I started to fatigue, I didn't warm up. And um, I started to panic right in the middle of the lake. It was windy, there was water blowing in my face. And I thought I was going to die because when you panic you start to hyperventilate and I couldn't touch the ground So I said well, I'm going to swim back towards shore And if I die, I'm at least going to die trying to get back and I just yelled out for help and Maribel's uncle who's like, you know Six foot three, you know, he launched out into the deep and grabbed me and I was you know And I almost died and from that point on it created this cycle of panic and anxiety And I was suffering panic attacks. I was at the gym. My heart would race and I would didn't know what it was. And if you've ever suffered from panic, it feels like you're, gun- you're going to die. I mean, it's terrible. And about a year ago, um, I was on a camping trip with a couple other pastor friends, and I felt that sense of panic come over me. And I did something I'd never done before. I sort of had a meditative prayer. And I closed my eyes, and I sat, you know, with my legs crossed, and I recited with each breath each of the Ten Commandments. And at the end of that, I said, Jordan, the Lord loves you. The Lord is for you. The Lord cares about you. And that may seem to some people like silly, but that is how frail we are as people, that we have to constantly remind ourselves. And I I kid you not, I, I have not suffered a panic attack, I think, since that day. I do it regularly now. Jordan, the Lord loves you. The Lord cares for you. I think I realized I struggled to believe that. And you have to believe that this morning, that God loves you. He cares for you. And maybe you need to remind yourself of that. It's tough in this world, right? Right? Image, measuring up, afraid of what people think. And we carry that over into our relationship with God, thinking that God has those same feelings for us as other people do. The moment we mess up, the moment we disappoint him, it's over. But the promise of the gospel is that God's very spirit dwells in our hearts. He's adopted us into his family. And God loves you. God cares about you. And you are not cast off for every little failing because you're part of God's family. If you have the Spirit of God, you are a son or a daughter of God. Finally, number three, the Spirit teaches and reminds us of what's true. Verse 26, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. The Spirit reminds us of God's love, but it reminds us of God's word. And as David said, your word, O Lord, have I hid in my heart that I might not sit against you? It's good to have the word in us. And the Spirit reminds us of God's word. The Spirit reminds us of what Jesus has said. Now, in its context, Jesus is saying, the things I've said, you won't forget them because Jesus didn't write things down. You know that, right? You know, Jesus didn't write any books in the Bible. He spoke and taught in a way that was story-driven. He spoke parables and stories and narratives that were easy to remember, but he's essentially promising the Spirit would bring to the disciples' remembrance the things that he said so that they could write it down which has given us, you know, much of Jesus' teaching in the scriptures. So in its context, that's what it's talking about. Jesus is telling the disciples, the things that I've said, I haven't written them down, but written them down, but the Spirit will bring them to your remembrance. But for us, it's true as well. When we read Jesus' word, when we read scripture, the Spirit makes it alive in our hearts. And when we're tempted by Satan, The Word beckons us, calls us to holiness and obedience, and the Spirit empowers us to obey. We're reminded of God's Word. We're reminded of God's love for us. You know, people can read the Bible their whole lives and it have no real power over them because the Spirit's not at work. Secular scholars do this all the time. There are Bible scholars, people who make a living writing books about the Bible, who don't believe a word of it. They're, they're just secular scholars at, you know, secular institutions, many secular seminaries. You know, they were, they were once Christian institutions centuries ago or hundreds of years ago or decades ago, and now they just, right? But the spirit has to be at work. And we live in a time right now of our postmodern culture is deconstructing everything, Everything is just on the table to be, you know, deconstructed and ripped apart. The Spirit keeps it together in our hearts, though. And so this verse is a promise of assurance for us that his word, his commandments will live in us. When you're tempted, the engrafted word used by the Holy Spirit empowers us, reminds us, And Scripture itself is a faithful record because the Spirit has brought all things together that's written. The Word of God is inspired by God through His Spirit. So listen, in conclusion, I want to say this, that the Spirit and its presence is a critical aspect of our pursuit of Christian behavior and discipleship. I I began by saying It's an indispensable part of our Christian life. And if you have found yourself feeling like a failure, lean into the Spirit's power. Pray for the Spirit's power. That the Spirit would keep God's Word alive in our hearts. As I said before, rules don't change hearts. The Spirit does. Commandments or the law doesn't change hearts. The Spirit changes the heart. Without the Spirit, God's commandments are just a bunch of overwhelming, overbearing, burdensome rules. But when the Spirit is at work in us, I mean, this is the promise of the new covenant. I will will put my law on their hearts and give them a new Spirit. If you follow, if you believe in Christ, you have the Spirit. Trust in it. Rely on it. Ask for its help. Help. This is God's promise to each one of us. Let's pray right now and ask for the Spirit's help. Father, we thank you that you have poured out your love in the work of your Son. Jesus, thank you for accomplishing the work of redemption. We thank you, Father and Son, for sending the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, now we pray that you would fill us once again with your power with your grace and enabling for us to walk as we've been commanded, not out of fear or guilt, but out of loving union with our triune God. Empower and enable us, O God, and remind us that you have adopted us into your family, and we are beloved as the Son is beloved. We are no longer orphans, and we can rest securely in the love you have for us as our heavenly Father, And we won't be kicked out on the street for every minor infraction, O God. But keep our hearts alive with love for you. That we want to please you. We want to keep your word, O God. And bring to our remembrance that which we have read and learned. That which we've been taught. Lord, that we might be transformed into the image and likeness of your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen.